My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Tori Dunlap. Tori is the founder of Her First 100K. You can um, look it up online at herfirst100k.com. Welcome, Tori. Thank you so much for having me. Crazy times we're in right now. (laughs) I know. I know. Crazy times. And um, I have to tell everyone listening, I will, you know, go through for edits and things like that. However, um, Tori and I are dealing with kind of an onslaught of the Zoom empire um, being inundated with, um, rightfully so, with people connecting and needing to jump on. And so we've got a little bit of a delay. And so for any of you listening, it's not um, my being overly thoughtful, which I'd like to play it off as, but rather just um, that uh, little time delay that we're dealing with. Again, I hope to fix some of it in post, (laughs) but I just wanted to let everyone know about it. Um, I'm going to read a quick bio on Tori, but before I do that, everyone, um, t- I'm going to offer you all a roadmap of today's podcast, and it will follow the same flow as all of these um, podcasts for this series. Um, we'll first be looking at Tori's academic background and early professional life. Then we'll turn towards unpacking her company, which is her first 100K, when it was launched, who founded it, the impetus for the launch, all of the nuts and bolts, brick and mortar. And then we'll go back into kind of the ethos and questions of the philosophical structure of the company. Then we'll look towards goals that Tori has for her first 100K for the next three years regarding scaling, maybe brand expansion, all of those good things. We'll wrap everything up with advice that Tori has for those of you looking to get involved with her first 100K or um, maybe emulate some of Tori's success. A quick bio on Tori before I start um, onslaughting her with questions. Tori Dunlap is a millennial money and career expert. After saving $100,000 at age 25, Tori founded her first 100K to fight financial inequity by giving women actionable resources to better their money. Um, A Plutus Award winner, uh, her work has been featured on Good Morning America, New York Magazine, Forbes, CNBC, and more. Um, As an honors graduate of University of Portland, Tori currently lives in Seattle where she enjoys eating fried chicken, going to bar classes, and attempting to naturally work John Mulaney bits into conversation. Which I love, Tori, I have to tell you, 
John, uh, Kid Gorgeous was, I think, one of the best um, stand-ups of the year. I'm not sure if it was 2019 or 2020, but John Mulaney has oh. um, a place in my heart as well. <laughs> so I love that you have that in your bio. Yeah, I saw him when he... I saw him when he came to Seattle and I have the most massive crush on that man. And uh, yeah, it was so much fun. And I, have was, a, I have all of his specials almost completely memorized. <laughs> excellent. Yep. It's, it would not be hard for to work it into conversation either. I think he covers the gamut. Um, I really appreciate his, his different rhetorics. I'm wondering before we get into unpacking her first 100K, which I can't wait to explore with you, but can you kind of draw us um, a brief picture of your academic background and early professional life prior to launching her first 100K? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to grow up as parents who were really committed to making sure that I was financially responsible. So I had a really great financial education for my family. I actually started my first business when I was nine years old. So I ended up owning vending machines, the kind where you put a quarter in, you get a handful of candy out, those kind of vending machines. Mm -hmm. And then ended up owning 15 by the time, yeah, by the time I graduated high school. So all of the profits went to my college fund and it was a great way for me, you know, to learn about money and to learn how to grow and scale a business and pitch myself. Um, I knew the business thing was rare. I knew that wasn't normal, but I grew up thinking, okay, everybody knows not to overspend on credit cards and everybody knows to negotiate their salary. And of course, I realized that that wasn't the case and especially was not the case for most women. So we're at a severe disadvantage when it comes to financial education. And so mm -hmm. I ended up starting her first 100K three years ago while working full-time as a social media marketer. So my background is in marketing and communications. So in college, I actually dual degreed. I have a BS in organizational communication, which I like to say is a marketing degree with less math. And then I also <laughs> have a BA in theater. And so really I grew up as a storyteller. I grew up as someone who loved uh, providing value for people and figuring out how to you know, artfully tell stories and and connect with others. And so, yeah, I worked in marketing for almost five years as my full-time job and then grew what became her first 100K on the side of that until taking it full-time in November of last year. Nice. And so you moonlighted as you were launching it. Would you describe like as you began launching her first 100K as it was something you developed as like a moonlighting career, like in your part-time work until it became a stable entity? Yeah, it was very much a side hustle. So it was originally a blog called Victory Media. And then the blog turned into me doing more coaching and then became her first 100K in early 2019. And then everything kind of took off from there. So yeah, the plan was to always build it in order to, you know, do something for myself full time. Did I know that I was going to be, you know, a money expert as someone who, you know, went to a liberal arts college and have two liberal arts degrees? No. Definitely did not expect to be doing that, but I really realized after the 2016 election, me kind of coming into adulthood, that we are at a severe disadvantage, of course, when it comes to financial education for women, and it's, it's holding us back from, from equality, and I don't believe we have any sort of equality for marginalized groups until we have financial equality. And so I was privileged enough to have a great financial education growing up, and I believe with that privilege came a responsibility to start having more conversations about money. Absolutely. And I, I completely concur. I like how you roped it in as well. I think a lot of people, women, uh, female identified non-binary individuals who have the opportunity to kind of um, parlay, you know, their social stance into it frequently don't because um, I think that 
Well, like niche can be seen as, as a good thing. You know, it defines who you are and what you're doing. And then a lot of people also don't want to narrow their scope. They're, they're scared that it will ward off business. But one of the most attractive things to me as I was um, researching your story is just that you indeed tied that narrative into not just how few people actually knew about, you know, managing money and things like that, especially perhaps younger people, but even more so the people that were disenfranchised or even limited towards the money-making decisions and things like that, such as women and those other populations. And so I think that's a really powerful um, and brave step that you took with it. Um, in looking at those markets. Can you tell us a little bit how it's structured? Um, like what, so the impetus for the launch is kind of clear and in 2019, but how has it kind of come up to be structured? Is it coaching? Is everything individualized? Do you have courses online? Like let's get into a little bit how it's built. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a lot of different things. I do online workshops, I do courses, I do a lot of content creation. So writing for brands in the personal finance space, um, kind of acting as a spokesperson for them. Um, I do some affiliate marketing. Obviously I get asked a lot about, you know, which savings accounts should I use, which credit card, you know, is, is great to start off with. And so I have a part, a lot of partnerships with companies in order to recommend, um, recommend solutions for people. Um, and then I'm also a speaker. So I speak, you know, globally about women and money and, and budgeting, saving, investing, negotiating, all of those things. So yeah, it's kind of a multi-dimensional business, but it basically revolves around, yeah, me fighting the patriarchy through that financial education piece. Absolutely. And it's an amazing tactic. Who are your clients thus far? Do you have a profile or are they all across the board? Is there a specific industry or genre of person that you're kind of catering to or do they span? I mean, my content, 95% of my content is genderless, is ageless. You know, anybody can use this content. But I mean, my very, the very name of my brand identifies who my con, you know, who my, who my client is. So her first 100K is obviously female or female identifying people. First being, this is probably your, your intro or kind of your moderate personal finance advice. This is not intense, right? This is not like personal finance 401. This is personal finance 101, 201, et cetera. So um, yeah, I'm really looking at millennial women who are either just starting their financial, starting starting to make those bigger life decisions, like buying houses, having children, starting businesses, and, and really counseling them through, through those transitions. Nice. Absolutely. And have you, so you haven't set up necessarily courses. I think a lot of like the popularity with people who have um, coaching or advisory, you know, um, companies in the beginning is to kind of get these across the board, either face group courses or courses that they offer online. Do you tend to work more one-on-one -on -one with an individual or with their entire company? So I'm actually moving more into the course model. So what I've done, which was actually smart and I didn't even realize was smart, was I did so much coaching that I really figured out what people's pain points were. Then I turned those into workshops and I'm turning those workshops into courses. So I'm actually doing a live workshop tonight that's around salary negotiation, uh, the exact script to use when negotiating your salary, what to do if they say no, how to counter, all of that. And so I am now turning that workshop, this is actually the last time I'm doing it live online, I'm turning that workshop into a course. Um, so I just released my first my first course this year called Master Your Money, and I partnered up with my friend Alexis, who's an amazing positive psychology coach. And so it was really like 
here's everything you need to know about managing your money. Also, here's how to overcome all of those psychological leaps of self-sabotage, of feeling like you're not deserving of money, of, you know, your relationship with your money because of your parents' relationship to money. So we really covered the gamut there. And so I'm much more moving into, um, you know, reaching as many people as possible through these workshops, courses, um, speaking engagements. And then if you want to do online coaching with me, that is available. It's just, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing it for, for a specific amount of people. Absolutely. How has your growth been thus far since the, the official kind of major launch of 2019? How, what has this last year been for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. So I launched in February of 2019. Keep in mind, I'm still working nine to five. I'm still working 40 hours a week for somebody else. And in 2019, um, I was featured on Good Morning America, CNBC, um, The Cut, New York Magazine's The Cut, um, oh gosh, Market Watch, a bunch of other places. I had a short documentary filmed about me and my story. Um, I hit my 100K. I saved $100,000 at 25. Um, and then I quit my job uh, actually before, probably three to six months before I was even planning on it. Um, quit my job in November, about two weeks after Good Morning America happened. Amazing. So, did, you, did you hire a publicist or a press nope. agent or was this all no. word of mouth? This was all organic. This was all me pitching. This was all um, domino effects, me sliding into reporters' DMs on Twitter. Like, no, wow. I've never hired somebody to do PR for me. Um, and, and I know both in working, you know, in a PR capacity for, you know, a full-time employer, you know, working in PR and marketing in my nine to five, um, it's been pretty crazy. And I feel really honored that I've gotten the press I've gotten without really putting like a dime into it, obviously my own time, but like, no, I've never hired somebody to do PR for me. Absolutely. I mean, it is amazing. That is, it's, it's, that's the kind of organic growth that people pray for, you know, right. yeah, and other people make a lot of money off of um, it not happening for those firms, like you're mentioning. Um, I'm wondering with, um, with some of the techniques that you get involved with, uh, I have um, kind of a peppered knowledge of, um, a multitude of industries and things like that. When you get into, let's use salary negotiation for an example and something that you advise people on, um, do you find like the core axioms or these core truths about those particular topics that you find can kind of cross-pollinate across um, industries? Because I, I find that sometimes with different industries, different rules apply and different populations. You know, if you have someone who has a largely um, Asian clientele or, you know, the, the company is built on like a, a Chinese backbone. They have a very different status quo for asking for raises and things of that nature. Um, that's just kind of like more of an outlier situation. But do you find that you kind of, you knock everything down to very, very core principles that are true across all industries or do you, do you have to kind of cater it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I mean, in your, your example, right, it, there's, there's cultural elements to all of these things, right? They're, they're going to be different depending on who you're talking to, your circumstance, your position, all of those things. But um, I mean, I largely try to make my workshops as accessible as possible. And then I include a Q&A at the end. So if you do have questions about your own personal circumstance, um, I try to answer those as best possible. But with like salary negotiation specifically, there's two universal truths I kind of have found. The first is that I teach people that negotiations are collaborations, not conflicts. 
we've seen the word negotiation as kind of a dirty word, right? You're going to have to unsheath your sword and put on your boxing gloves and you're gonna have to fight to the death in order to get what you want. Right. And that's just not true. And that's not a negotiation. That's a conflict, right? That's an argument. That's a fight. You are not on an opposing team from your boss or potential boss. You're actually on the same team as them. You're problem solving with them to try to figure out a solution to the issue of you not getting compensated fairly. Right. So you're not on opposing teams. You're actually on the same team. And so it should be a collaborative process. The second universal truth I've found is that we have been told as women to always be grateful for the opportunities we've been given, right? And we're always told to kind of sit down and just be quiet and just accept what our reality is. Um, And -hmm. of course, that's the patriarchy's way of making sure that we don't get more money and get more power in order to start changing the world. And so I hear from women constantly Like, I'm afraid to negotiate because I'm afraid of losing the opportunity. And that just doesn't happen. And in a very rare case where, for whatever reason, the company withdraws an offer or, you know, fires you for negotiating your salary, that is not a company you want to work for anyway. If they're not willing to have a conversation about your value, they're not going to see your value during your entire tenure of employment there. So if they're not willing to have an honest conversation, transparent conversation with you about compensation, They've just done you a favor. That's a huge red flag. They're not a company you want to work for anyway. So yeah, I just, I hear that so much. That's the number one thing I hear from women is like, oh gosh, I, I'm scared of negotiating because I'm afraid they're, they're, you know, they'll still see me as ungrateful or they'll see me as, you know, greedy. And so they'll withdraw the offer and it just doesn't happen. No, I'm wondering, do you ever use any metrics when you're looking at some of these things in order to garner um, speaking to women and some of these populations? Um, I'm thinking of like Glassdoor or people where you're, you know, you're collecting pieces of information. I don't know if Glassdoor offers, um, you know, metrics on the different gender disparities and things like that. I just, I interviewed someone who has a a site called genderfair.com and she's collecting data on companies and exactly what their breakdowns and their metrics are in order to make it public to people to have like that change happening. And I'm wondering if you use some of that to kind of develop your curriculum and, and what you, what you tell people, or do you just take your knowledge base of what you understand about the gender disparity um, from your own personal experience? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's drawn from my own personal experience. I've been able to negotiate at least 10% in every job I've ever held. Um, Mm -hmm. And also in my previous job, I was the first woman hired. (laughs) Like we were a small startup of, I think at the time, 12 people. And I was the first woman hired at the startup. Um, I, I love Payscale. Payscale is actually a Seattle based company. So I like repping my local companies, but they're an amazing salary, um, uh, what's the word aggregator. So they, Mm -hmm. they have so much data about salary information about, um, you know, segmented by gender, segmented by, um, race or ethnicity, segmented even by, um, sexual identity. And so, I use a lot of their, their content and nice. their, their kind of advice and guidance. So if you haven't heard of them, they're an amazing organization. I um, haven't. I will reach out. That's awesome. Yeah, they're great. And then I've also partnered actually with a fellow woman entrepreneur um, who runs a company called 81 cents. And they're, they're really cool in the fact that they, you know, if you come to them and you say, for example, you know, I'm a social media manager with five years of experience and I am looking to negotiate, you know, my current, my current job, trying to negotiate a raise. Here are all my skills. Here's my daily, 
you know, tasks as this person, here's my job description. And then what 81 cents does is actually goes out to their network of people. So like they'd come talk to me as someone who has an experience, you know, has a background in marketing. And they would say, hey, here's what this person's salary is. And it's all anonymous. Here's what this person's salary is. Here's the kind of company they work for. They give all of that data and they say, what, what should, you know, this person be getting compensated at? Um, what's, what's the range? What, you know, what should they feel comfortable asking for? And this is something I counsel people in my workshops to do is have conversations because Payscale, I think, is the best online platform for this, but it is an online platform. Glassdoor, Payscale, Salary.com, they're going to see you as kind of a two-dimensional person, right? They don't see that you get in at 7.30 every morning and leave at 6. You know, they don't see that you, you know, have this master's degree in this specific field that allows you, you know, to, um, you know, charge this much more money for your services, right? They're not seeing you as that full person or your mm-hmm. full skill set. And so I love the concept of either going through a company like 81 cents or doing it on your own of having conversations with people and saying, Hey, based on what you know about me and my skill set, and based on the job, you know, and the work I've been doing, what should I be compensated at? You know, what range seems fair? Absolutely. I think those numbers are important, you know, even if they fluctuate a little bit and things like that. But I do like this idea of like really gathering more information before. I always advise people, you know, I'll say, you know, um, what kind of a worker you are. And um, I frequently more than not run into people who are just um, skilled geniuses at what they do. You know, they're incredible brains and experts. And I always say, if you're not making it the top end of your salary, like pivot, renegotiate or leave. You know, there's this idea of like maybe sitting somewhere in the middle and being grateful, which um, I don't agree with. And I think that it's more because I run in kingdoms of women and women identified non-binary individuals. And so I'm more prone to being like, no, you got to fight for that as well. And I like the, I feel like it was a long time that we had just Glassdoor. Like I haven't gotten on pay scale. I have heard of 81 cents a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think that we need to, more of these, these pieces of information, things like genderfair.com, like just really trying to wrap our heads around it so that we can start changing it um, with, uh, with our movements and with what we do. I'm wondering, um, because you have this such clear agenda and, and these attachments with different populace, um, populations, do you work in collaboration? You've talked about bringing other people on board with your actual, um, her first 100K, um, like, you know, developing courses and things of that nature, but do you have groups that approach you? I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about like now or people like that that you affiliate with or have you kept it separate from all affiliations? So I don't have any direct affiliations right now. I do get asked to speak at a lot of, you know, women's events, women's empowerment conferences, that sort of thing. Um, What I'm realizing, though, is uh, we have a lot of conversations about, you know, the equal pay and the wage gap, as we should continue to have, right? 78 cents to a man's dollar, even worse if you're a woman of color, of course. But the things we're not talking about as much are, like, the investing gap of the fact that women either wait longer to invest than men or don't invest at all. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the fact that we're living seven years longer than men on average. And so we're going to have to manage our money differently. So we're seeing at a lot of these events, we have conversations about, again, wage gap, opportunity gaps, um, about negotiating your salary, which I'm not saying we should stop having. Of course, let's have those conversations. But we need to be having more conversations about how to actually manage your money thoughtfully when you get it. Um, And so that's really what I'm trying to do is, is, 
be the kind of de facto voice for millennial women of, okay, let's get you more money. And then we also have to figure out how to keep it and how to grow it. Because that's really where you can make an impact, right? As soon as you get money, then your life starts to change, right? You get to buy that house. You get to start that business. You get to have, um, you know, a, a family if, if that's what you choose. You know, there's, there's so many options for women. I always say having funds means having freedom. And so a lot of these events, I think, can really expand their focus to not only just talk about the wage gap, but also talking about, you know, what do you do when you actually get the money? Yeah, absolutely. All, all areas need to be concerned. I agree. Um, and it's, it isn't just about the gap. Uh, there is a huge thing in the startup industry um, with women VCs and angel investors that I talk about all of the time, uh, maybe a little too much, but it's this uh, life cycle of the entrepreneur and the investor, you know, and it's being pushed really hard right now on a lot of the um, symposiums and conferences I go to and and um, speak at, and the concept is, is that, you know, female entrepreneurs start off, they launch their business, um, hopefully they're, they're successful, they earn this income, and then they stop in a lot of cases because they haven't, they, they haven't been taught or know how to fulfill the rest of that life cycle and, and flourish that ecosystem, which is you then turn around to invest in the same communities that you came up in, you know, and once you do that, you've completed this, um, a lot of the discrepancies about um, female entrepreneurs not being invested in and things like that. And so I think that well, a large part of what you're talking about, like what you do with your money when you get it is, is part of that as well. These concepts of like really looking at the whole picture, which is awesome. And given that, and given that that's goal-based and that you've kind of, you've built your, your budding empire upon that. I want to turn towards goals that you have for her first hundred K for the next one to three years. Do you mark it out? in one to three years or six months? Like, how do you do your planning? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. This is, I'm in my first full year of entrepreneurship in 2020. So, um, you know, I, I left my, my corporate job in the middle of November, December was Christmas. Right. So really, um, this is like month we're starting month four of full-time entrepreneurship right now. Um, I remember making goals in December that I wanted to do hundred K at least hundred K in revenue for this year. And I'm already at about $60,000. So I'm already 60% of the way there. And so nice. uh, there's a lot of goals I made that were, that were very lofty. And there was a lot of goals I made that I think I'm going to hit pretty easily, knock on wood. So yeah, it's been, it's been a great period so far. I really do, yeah, try to make goals for, for the year. Um, I'm such a planner that I've realized um, if, if I actually make goals longer than that, I end up pigeonholing myself because mm. I try to control things. <laughs> like I thought Good Morning America would be in about five years. Like I didn't know it was going to happen in six months. I had no idea. So I really try to make goals for the year. I know that by the end of this year, I am pivoting my business slightly to be uh, personal finance, but also talking about just money in general. Um, and those sound like the same thing, but right now I'm largely talking about yeah, what do you do again? How do you how do you grow your money? How do you grow your salary? And then what to do with your salary? How do you keep it? How do you grow it? I'll continue to have those conversations, but I also want to talk about how to build a business. So that's a question I'm getting asked now constantly is how did you grow a side hustle? How did you market yourself in order to grow this thing on the side to the point where you could quit uh, your nine to five and do this full time? And so mm -hmm. I want to talk increasingly more about entrepreneurship and about how to grow an online business so that you can, you can achieve that financial freedom and you can feel confident enough to, to, you know, make it your, your full-time, full-time 
jobs. So that's something I know in, in six months to a year will be, will be a slight pivot for me. Um, and then I have specific, yeah, specific revenue goals for this year, obviously hundred K in revenue. I'll think, although I hope that, uh, I blow that out of the water. Um, and I'm in the process of putting together a book proposal to write my first book. So that's also one of my big goals for this year. But I've learned about myself is that if I plan anything too far ahead beyond that, it ends up putting blinders on me Mm -hmm. and I end up not seeing the opportunities that I could have gotten. Um, or end up kind of ignoring those um, because I'm like, nope, I got to stick to the plan, right? So I, I really try to not plan farther out than that. Absolutely. Will you grow your company? Will you bring more um, employees on? Or are you going to keep it as tight as possible? Yeah, I mean, I right now have two part-time marketing assistants, so they each work for me 10 hours a week. And I uh, actually, we all were on a, a, we were on a Zoom wine call last night trying to help with all this social distancing. Mm. And um, I've always joked to both of them separately, but this is the first time I've said it on a call that, uh, you know, the plan is to have, have them, if they're willing, you know, come with me in, in the next couple of years. So yeah, it's just, it's just how quickly can we grow and, and how quickly can we expand? But yeah, I, I would love I would love to grow to the point where I have you know multiple employees and this is this is a larger thing. Absolutely. So I'm wondering we're kind of wrapping up the um, the podcast. We've gotten to my favorite part, which is um, if if you were approached tomorrow, especially given your just rocketing you know pace of trajectory of success and things like that, if you bumped into someone um, in the park tomorrow and they walked up to you and said, Hey, listen, um, I've got this side hustle. I'm going to make it into my, um, my main gig and, um, it's, I'm going to start tomorrow. What are the like top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's a great question. The first is I would say serve before you sell. That doesn't mean give things away for free, but that means always have your mission in mind. That always means lead with providing value to people beyond trying to sell them. Uh, something that I did that was very smart, but again, I didn't realize was smart while I was doing it was I grew, again, I grew a business on the side of a day job. And so I didn't have to rely on it to pay my bills. I wasn't worried about, you know, killing my best selling product and taking a risk and seeing what would happen, you know. So I was able to have it grow organically and really refine my mission and, and, and provide value for people and grow credibility mm -hmm. before I tried to sell them anything. So it was almost a year and a half to two years before I really truly launched my coaching. Um, and by then I already had clients, right? I already had people who wanted to hear from me and wanted to be sold to. So yeah. I think serving before you sell is, is something that I still keep in mind constantly, you know, as I'm going through my business now. Um, the second thing is don't try to be everything to everyone. Um, you're, it's really tempting when you're first starting a business to not want to ostracize anyone, right? Not really take a stand, not really, um, yeah, have, have particular opinions because you don't want to, you don't want to ostracize anybody. Again, you don't want to, you, you, you think to yourself, I want to appeal to everybody so I can get as many clients as possible. And in doing that, you, you are really nothing to anybody, right? So in trying right. to be everything to everyone, you are, you end up being, you know, like, oh, who's this? Who's she appealing to? Like, what's she talking about? I'm confused. Um, and so I took a very, very, you know, I, I kind of planted, planted my roots in this feminist millennial woman territory, right? And uh, I get some trolls for that. I get some hate for that. I get men sliding my DMs being like, so is this platform like for me? 
Like, am I allowed to be here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Like the one corner of the world that you wouldn't be allowed in? That's cute. So don't be afraid to niche down. Don't be afraid to pick a particular audience and really, really serve them, especially. Um, I would say the final thing is um, I got asked every day for, yeah, three years, when are you going to quit your job and start your business? When are you going to quit your job and start your business? And I was so glad that I actually grew this as a side hustle, both from the financial stability standpoint, right? I'm a big fan of making sure I can pay my bills, but also uh, the nine to five is what, what gave me the freedom and the flexibility to grow this business in the way I wanted to. So mm-hmm. um, you hear on Instagram a lot too, just on the internet of like, you know, go for it, you know, be an entrepreneur and do all these things. And I think it's such a privileged statement to just act like you can just quit your job and just do this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you are, you know, in a nine to five that you can at least tolerate. And for me, I actually loved my nine to five and it'll allow you to make potentially risky decisions. So there's no shame in a nine to five. Like there's no shame in, you know, the, um, doing the part-time side hustle thing. Um, and we tend to glorify entrepreneurship. There's a lot of amazing things about entrepreneurship, but it's also super difficult. It's really fucking hard. And so, um, it, you can't, you can't just quit your job and peace out and start your business if you're not, if you're not ready yet. Absolutely. There's no shame in having, there's no shame in having a day job. All right. So we've got serve before you sell and don't try to be everything to everyone. Um, don't be afraid to niche down as a second part of that. And it's cool to take it slow. Moonlighting can be a blessing. I love it. Those three pieces are awesome. I think that's so cool. And it's an awesome, I like the juxtaposition. I think you're right. I think too many people are very into this idea of just like jump in, learn to fly as you fall, you know, and all of these things that it, it is very privileged. It, it does speak of someone who isn't supporting like a child or, you know, a student loan, or I mean, just all sorts of things, a myriad of, of situations that a lot of people can be in. So I think that that's a really cool um, other side of that coin, you know, to be able to moonlight and that being a blessing and a benefit as well. And you don't, you don't want to hate your business, right? (laughs) You don't, especially when you're first getting started, you don't want to hate it. You don't want to be like up every night going, Oh my God, how am I going to pay my rent? And I hate that I have to do this. And I hate that I have to make these certain sacrifices in my business just because like I have to pay my bills. Right. And that's such a hard spot to be in. We want you to love your business. I mean, you're not going to love it all the time, but we want to, you, we want you to love it most of the time. And I think too many people to your point. Yeah. It's like, Oh, just go for it. And it's like such a privileged statement. It's such a privileged statement to just assume everybody can do that. Truly is. Well, uh, thank you so much, Tori. I really appreciate you speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, we've been speaking with Tori Dunlap. You can find out more about her and her first 100K on her website, herfirst100k.com. Thank you for giving us your time today. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Sláinte.